Anybody else notice that Bruce is on every mission trip that we have coming up? <laughs> that guy's going to be all over the world. So listen, uh, walking into service, I had three or four people say, boy, you look awful young today. My wife's out of town, so I can wear whatever I want to, is what the deal is. I'm a sneakerhead, man. I collect them. It is part of my, my kind of fun thing that I do, but she's always like, you cannot wear that to church. She's not here to tell me, so please don't tell her that I did it. I love them. Take a quick peek. Here they are right here, because they're slick. It's my newest pair of Jordans right there. So, okay. Uh, yes, want to... Um, um, want to talk today a little bit about, um, we're right in the middle of our global missions, and my job today is to talk about amazing encounters. And so when we planned this, what we decided was um, to take a moment and try to connect people to the idea of what happens when we just simply go. And I want to begin uh, with a story that revolutioned my life when it came to the idea of just going. I had a blind spot. Anybody in this room have a blind spot? So here's the problem with them. If you got them, you don't know. That's, that's, so all of us, so even if you're sitting there like, I don't have a blind spot, that's your blind spot right there that you don't know you have a blind spot. We all have them. Everybody has them. The problem with them is that we don't know that we have them. For those of you who are old enough to remember great big cars from the 70s, those came with blind spots, didn't they? You didn't know what was on the other side of those things, man. You just took a chance. Blind spots in life are similar and that there's just things that we can't see. And until we're exposed to them, we don't know that we had them. And I had a huge blind spot in my life. And it came to the idea of how missions worked. And really, I'm going to tell a story to try to connect the two things together. The legend of this story goes this way. There was a football player, college, named John Long. Uh, John was not a great football player. As a matter of fact, uh, he played for the University of Illinois. You probably never heard of him. He never did anything outstanding on the four years that he played for the team. In fact, he was so normal, he was so average, he was so underwhelming that he never started one game. Illinois was an average team at that time. They hadn't been to uh, the Rose Bowl in over 20 years, and they finally had a really good season going. The final home game of the year, if they win the game, they're going to go to the Rose Bowl. It's a big game. And John went to his coach with tears rolling down his face, said, Coach, it's my senior year, my last game. I never started, and it's really important to me. Please let me start this game. The coach looked at the player and said, How can you ask me this? He said, John, first of all, you know how important this game is. You know where we are in this season. You know what it means if we win this game. And quite honestly, John, not only are you not a starter, but you play behind the captain of the team, who's an all-American, and he's a great next-level player. What you're asking me for is next to impossible. But the player wouldn't relent, and he just asked the coach just to think about it. The coach bought a little bit of time and said, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll sleep on it tonight, and I'll give you my answer in the morning. Um, If you're not aware of this, when it comes to most sports in college and professional, the night before a game, Most of them sleep at a hotel in order to be away from the distractions. So John got up out of his hotel bed the next morning really early, knocked on the coach's door before the coach could do anything else, and said, Coach, have you made up your mind? And the coach said, Okay, John, here's what I'm going to do for you. In order to satisfy the fact that for four years you've done everything we've asked you to do. Now, I don't know if you know this. I know this because my son played college football. Uh, Whether you start or not, you have to do what all the other players do. 
You have to work out like all the other players. You lift weights like all the other players. You have to show up at all the practices like all the other players. You have to do all the things the other players do, whether you ever play in a game or not. And that's what this kid had done for four years. So the coach said, because you've been a good model student athlete for me, I'm going to do this one thing for you. I'm going to let you start the first play of the game, which is the kickoff. So technically, it'll satisfy the idea that you started the game. But as soon as it's over, you've got to come out of the game. John agreed. It just so happened, Illinois kicked the ball off, kicked a great kick. John went crazy, ran down the field faster than anybody had ever seen him run before, made a tackle that was just absolutely incredible, blew the guy up on the 18-yard line, jumped up, fist clenched over the guy. Yes! And the coaches looked at each other like, who is this guy? Well, the guy that John normally started behind began to run on the field to take his place, and the coach stopped him. He said, we can't take him out now. Did you see that tackle? We've got to give him at least one more play. Next play. And this is what's funny about a linebacker, for those of you who know football. Uh, linebackers not only have to be big, but they have to be fast, and they have to be really smart. It's a key position on a football team. A linebacker has to be able to read the play and know what the quarterback is going to do even before the quarterback knows what he's going to do. John dropped back into his position, looked at what was going on, and here's the play. The quarterback got the ball. The halfback ran to the side. The quarterback threw it out in the flat. The halfback faked like he was going to run. Then he turned back around and threw it to the quarterback, and John sniffed out the play. Somehow he diagnosed what was going on, ran right between the halfback and the quarterback, intercepted the ball for a pick six, second play of the game. Illinois missed the extra point, but they're ahead 6-0. The end of the game, Illinois wins 6-0. The game stands. They're going to the Rose Bowl. They carry the coach off the field, into the locker room. They're celebrating. The coach looks around for John, and over in the corner is this kid uncontrollably crying all by himself. And the coach goes over and says, John! What's wrong with you? It's your dream come true. Everything that you asked for has happened. It couldn't have played out any better. And John says, Coach, he goes, you know my dad is blind, right? And the coach says, John, of course we know that. Your fraternity brothers many times brought him out to practice to hear you play. He said, Coach, my dad died last Thursday. And he said, it dawned on me for the first time that my dad had the chance to see me play and I wanted him to see what I could do. He said, I think my dad's pretty proud of the way I played this last game. What an awesome story, true story. And here's the thought. What a great <laughs> comeback. But John, forgive the pun, had a blind spot. He never saw how important it was until he actually realized that his dad was watching. And as soon as he realized that his dad was watching and cheering, man, he got into the game. And I just want to say this to every believer sitting in this room right now. The scripture I'm about to read to you, you've probably heard a hundred times, but I bet you have a blind spot with it. I bet it's never dawned on you that your father is watching, not to condemn you, but he's cheering for you right now. And if you ever realize, man, that he's watching to see how you play, not to see if you're good enough, not to see if you can pull it off, 
but he's the one cheering the loudest, yelling for you, knowing that you were created for these things. If you ever got rid of that blind spot to know how God felt about your capabilities, my goodness, man, you'd play like it really mattered. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus himself said these words. Wherever you go, that covers a lot of ground, yes or no? Wherever you go, Make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to do everything I've commanded you, and remember that I am always with you until the end of time. Here's what I think he's saying to you. I'm watching, and I'm cheering, and I'm pulling, so act like I'm watching. And if we ever got over the blind spot that this is not a suggestion, but that he's really pulling for us, I wonder how we'd play in the game. Um, Pastor Murley, you know, Jonathan and Rebecca are two of the finest missions pastors you could ever meet in your life. Man, this church is so blessed to have them. Jonathan tells a story about the kid in Florida who happens to come up on a really strange high tide that washed up a lot of starfish on the beach. And the starfish got stuck and couldn't back, get back in the ocean. So the kid was picking them up, and there's thousands of them, and one by one flinging them back in the ocean. And some dude's coming the other way, and when he meets the kid, he goes, what are you doing? You're not going to be able to save all of these starfish. And the kid goes, you're right. He picks one up and he throws it back. He said, but it makes a difference to that one, doesn't it? Most of the time when we read that scripture, going to all the nations, man, we think to ourselves, what can I do? You know how you change a nation? One person at a time. One person at a time. The one that you come across is the one that God wants you to act like. You're playing in front of him because it matters. And somehow we end up with a blind spot in that. All right, it's a short message. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to tell stories. Here's what they asked me to do. Give your five best mission stories. So I'm going to give you my five best mission stories. If you've got a pen, you might want to write the fill in the blanks down real quick. Here's the first one. Amazing encounters. Make disciples of all nations. You do it one at a time. Here's how I do it. The first one is just simply just give. Just give. Now, here's what you're preconditioned to hear. Give money. And I'm not talking about money at all right now. Just give. Just give of yourself. Just give of your time. Just give. Just be there. Just show up. Just, just give. The second mission trip I ever took, uh, I was a youth pastor. I was in my early 20s. Uh, back in this time in the church, Youth groups didn't take mission trips. Today, it's kind of like the hot thing that everybody does, but back then, you didn't do it. Missionaries did it. What youth groups did was raise money to help missionaries do what they did, like we bought vehicles for them, or we helped pay their way to do certain things. That's what youth groups got involved with. And I got this bright idea one day, man, instead of helping these kids raise money for this, why don't I take them out there and let it do it for themselves? Let them play in the game. I think that's where they'll get excited. But I didn't know how to do it. I didn't even know a missionary who would allow us to come visit him. And I found this guy who was doing stuff in the Caribbean. So it was kind of a win-win for me, to be honest with you. Take a youth group to the Caribbean on a mission trip. Here's the cost. $351 round trip. Now, here's what I know today that I didn't know then. You get what you pay for. The missionary was the pilot... The leader, the cook, he did everything. 
he loads us up on this little airplane that he had. And we take off out of Fort Pierce, Florida in a Category 1 hurricane. Yeah, listen, I'm not that same stupid youth pastor today, trust me. We take off, we get over the Atlantic, we're headed for an island called Cat Island, and we picked this island because it was full of Haitian refugees, and what we had was the Jesus film. It was made many, many years ago, and what, uh, what Campus Crusade, I think it's Campus Crusade for Christ, owns the Jesus film, what they had done was to translate it into multiple languages around the world, and so what you would do is simply show up to a place where you couldn't speak the language, and you show the Jesus film in their dialect, and then at the end of it, the missionary would just ask, anybody here want to know Jesus, and all we would do was pray with people. I was just looking for a low-impact way to get my kids involved in missions. I just wanted them to see, it's not so hard to do this, man. It really is easy. So we load this airplane up. We take off in this Category 1 hurricane. And on this little plane that's overloaded, it can't get up high enough. And it's a rough ride. And when I say rough ride, I'm not doing any justice to this story. Kids are in the back throwing up. I'm thinking to myself, we're all going to die on this airplane right here. The missionary sweat is pouring off of him while he's trying to fly this plane, right? Now, I don't want to do anything to upset him. That's not the time. And we get over Nassau, and the guy declares a mayday. For those of you who are pilots, you know when you say mayday, everything else is put aside, and they pay attention to you. And this is what the pilot said. He said, we can't go around. We can't circle even once. He said, we've got to land right now, and we're not going to make it. The airport completely was shut down, and they opened it up and said, land then. And he gets this plane down, and it was a crazy ride, to be honest with you. Once we got down on the ground, God is my witness. I got out of the plane, and I kissed the ground in the biggest rainstorm. I literally kissed the ground. The second thing that I did was get up and get in this guy's face. How could you put our lives in jeopardy like that? How could you do that? Long story short, man, after everything calmed down, and we got to where we were supposed to be going... (laughs) We showed the Jesus film, and the response was just so incredible. But there was this one black man who followed me around everywhere that I went. He was far older. I was in my 20s. He was at least in his 60s. He was hungry. We were on a budget. All we ate were peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So I asked the guy, would you like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And you would have thought I offered him a T-bone steak, man. So I gave him the sandwich, and the guy followed me. He carried all of our stuff. And the guy knew the Bible frontwards and backwards. He actually grew up in the Caribbean. The Caribbean very much is a Christian nation. They teach Bible in school. He knew the Bible better than I knew the Bible. But the guy was very legalistic. That's what he had been taught was legalism, not life. And so I asked him about his relationship with Jesus after we saw all of these people come to Christ. I asked him about his relationship with Jesus, and this is what he said to me, and he quoted the Bible. He said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the way of, does anybody know it? Death. And he said, John, I've done too much for God to ever forgive me. And I said, bro, are you hungry? He said, I'm very hungry. I said, if I give you another peanut butter and jelly sandwich, will you let me talk to you? But you have to listen. He said, you bet. So I made him a sandwich, and he sat down, and I said, name one thing that's more powerful than the blood of Jesus. One thing. One sin. One act. Tell me the one thing that's more powerful than Jesus' blood that was shed for you. Well, of course, man, he can't name one thing. 
He was just stuck in that thing of self-condemnation of how many times he had failed and how many times he had promised God that he won't fail and how many times over his life that he realized, I need a savior, but instead of finding a savior, he tried to find it in himself. And I got to lead that man back to Jesus. Here, neat story, listen to this. He became the missionary's aide. Whenever the missionary would fly to that island, that guy became the missionary's aide and helped set up all of the crusades that were done on that island. He died a few years ago, but man, what a powerful truth. Sometimes it's just give of yourself. Most of us live in a world, man, where there's just so much going around. Self-preservation just takes over. And I get it. Look at like what happens a week ago in our society. It's no wonder. It's easier to withdraw and to hold back than it is to go out there and open your arms anymore, yes or no. And yet Jesus calls us right into that world, yes or no. Just give. Let me give you the second one. Just eat. I bet you can do that one. I've told this story. It's my favorite, favorite missionary story. Cusco, Peru, a bunch of little orphans. We took some of your money. They love to play soccer, so we bought them all their national team soccer uniforms, but we couldn't get their size, so we got oversized. So this little tiny kid named Tomas, wearing soccer shorts that look like pants and a soccer jersey that almost covered his pants, and we went and we played soccer for a couple of hours, and he was having the time of his life. And we had planned it that on the way back, we were going to stop at a buffet and feed these kids who were hungry. What we hadn't planned is how they'd react to the buffet. So the bus pulls up, the doors open, and before I could get any kind of order, the kids shot to the buffet. And they took over the line, and they pushed the people out of the way, and they cleaned the buffet out. So I'm trying to apologize to people that I don't speak their language at the same time thrilled that these kids are having such a good time and this little Tomas walks up to me <laughs> dressed it was just so comical and says to me senor and then he asked the question through the interpreter with a plate full of food that I mean he couldn't have fit one more piece of food on his plate he looks at me and he says do you think this is what heaven's going to be like Dude, that's exactly what heaven's going to be like. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and you'll never go hungry again. You'll never go hungry again. I've done this long enough now where sweet fruit comes back to me. I got an email a week and a half ago from a kid named Sean. I was a youth pastor in Lexington, Kentucky at one point in my life. And we did ministry in the Appalachian part of our country. And if you don't know that, you don't have to go anywhere else in the world to find poor people. Our country has plenty of them. And I'd go up to this part of our state in Kentucky and just do ministry up there. Uh, one, one year I just did this. I got our church to buy a bunch of Christmas presents, and we just took a bunch of Christmas presents to kids who weren't going to have them. Boy, you'd have thought there really was a Santa Claus, Virginia. It was pretty amazing. And I met this kid named Sean, who somehow would finagle a ride every week 
75 or 80 miles one way to come to youth group. He was such a hungry kid. And I don't mean just physically, but spiritually. <laughs> and I was in an urban setting in uh, Lexington, suburban, I'm sorry, that was very wealthy and well-to-do. A bunch of kids who, um, who had everything that, that you could have. And then in walks this little redhead, freckle-faced kid who looked like he had nothing. But he fell so passionately in love with Jesus that when the worship would start, he'd start crying and he'd get on his knees in front of everybody. And the kids who had everything would laugh at him. And he didn't care. He would just weep. I love that kid, man. That kid brought revival to me and to my youth group. I love that kid. That kid grew up and went to Oral Roberts University and I lost track through the years. A week and a half ago, I got a email from him. And he said, do you remember me? I said, I'll never forget you. He said, I'm coming to Denver. Can you get together? It didn't work out. Timing. So he sends me an email, and he says, I'm sorry we missed each other. He said, I visited one of my friends who I went to school with. His name is Evan Martin. I think you know him. We just launched him in a church last year. He said, I told Evan that you were my pastor, and Evan told me that you're his pastor. He said, John, do you remember picking me up in your old wreck of a car <laughs> and taking me to get something to eat? And this is what he told me. He said, I was hungry, and you fed me. He said, John, keep up the good work. He said, you changed lives and sometimes you don't know what it means to a person. Ugh. You just don't know, man. Sometimes, just eat. How about this? Just look. Just look. Do you know there's a scripture that says when you see evil, or you see something that's terrible, and you turn away from it, you're doing a wrong thing. As a believer, look, I'm not in your face right now. I'm just telling you, as a believer, when you see something in the world that's wrong and it bothers you, but you turn away from it because you don't want to deal with it, you're not doing the right thing. God wants us to look. You're his eyes. You're his mouth. You're his hands. You're his heart. In some village in Peru, at some orphanage, with a bunch of kids that we used to go visit, we helped build a playground in the middle of it, you built it. And they would always bring the kids out. We'd come in, and they'd bring the kids out, and we'd always play in the playground, in the middle of the playground. And they never let us go inside where the kids lived and slept. And I, it, it, I guess I just always thought, well, maybe that's just like uh, propriety. They don't want to endanger a kid with an adult that they don't know or something. I just, it just never... I never even questioned it. But one day, this little kid grabbed onto my hand and wanted to show me something in his room. I got permission, and the kid took me in there, and I looked around his room, and I'm like, oh, man. But the worst thing was, the kid <sighs> was so proud of a pillow that we had bought him. 
But I looked and saw his mattress that he was sleeping on, and it was full of mold, and it was wet, and it had holes in it. And then I began to look around at the others in the room, and then I went out of his room, and I looked in the other room, and every one of those mattresses was filthy like that. Sometimes I joke around about first and third world problems. You want to know a first world problem? My Nikes got hung up in the mail. True? You want to know a third world problem? A kid sleeping on a moldy mattress that's making him sick. I had $14,000 in my pocket that I brought from you to do something good in Peru. And I thought, here's what I can do. I found the only guy in the town that sold mattresses, and I bought almost every mattress that the guy had. Second problem, though, is how do you get 40 mattresses back? Dude, we stacked them on every motorcycle, every car, every taxi. It looked like the Beverly Hillbillies had come. (laughs) We put new mattresses in every bed in that orphanage. You would have thought that I had handed them each a bar of gold, John. Those kids cried. God, they wouldn't let go of me. Held on to my legs and my hands. For those of you who have ever put your kids to bed at nighttime and they just didn't want to go to sleep and they do that too, you know that. You can't get away from them. These kids were doing it because they were trying to say thank you to me. And I was embarrassed. So I didn't do anything. I spent your money on 40 mattresses so the kids will sleep good at nighttime. And all I did was look. And it doesn't make me good because I'm not. I'm just telling you, all you need to do is look around. Yes or no? All you need to do is look around. It's all around us. Let me give you the fourth one. Just speak. Just speak. Now, I know the Bible says we're not supposed to swear. And what I mean by that, it's not talking about profanity. It says that your word is... Give your yes, your yes be yes, and your no be no. But in this case, because you're going to think I'm making this up, I swear to you this happened. Two weeks ago, I'm sitting at the Starbucks, at the Target, at University and County Line Road. Can you think where it's at? I'm drinking coffee with a guy from our church, and a man walks up in my peripheral vision and just stands there while I'm having a very sensitive conversation with another person. So my first reaction is... This dude's making me mad. And I'm going to turn around and tell him, Hey man, can't you tell that I'm having a sensitive conversation right here with this guy? But I turn around, and the guy looks kind of like a little shell-shocked. So I said, Can I help you? And he said, Do you remember me? I said, You sort of look familiar, but I'm not sure. Well, the guy had lost a lot of weight. And he said, I used to go to your church. I don't anymore, and I haven't for several years. He goes to Cherry Hills, which is a great church. Great church. He said, but my wife and I have been having a lot of marital problems. And he said, in fact, last week on Sunday, I woke up, and we decided to call it quits after a fight. And he said, the only thing I could think to do was, I'm going to go to John Leach's church. Two weeks ago today, I preached a message. Does anybody remember the name of the message that I preached? Why stay in marriage? Of all the messages and of all the difficult titles, why stay? And so the guy goes, we've decided to work it out. 
And he said, Pastor, I just want to tell you something. He said, I saw you when I walked in and I didn't want to bother you. And I told the Lord, if he's still there when I walk out, I'll go up and tell him. So I figured this is God. He said, I just want to tell you, if you ever wonder if you're hearing from God, buddy, you hear from God. I'm about to tell the guy off five minutes earlier. (laughs) And now I want to fall down and kiss his feet. Because just like you, but probably exaggerated, every time I go home, I wonder, was that me or was that God? Did I really do what you wanted me to do? Because here's what really happens. People are really good about telling you when you don't hear from God. But you know what makes life worthwhile when you hear from God, man? Come on now. Or Robert. <laughs> we become a tandem. It's just, yeah, we're almost joined at the hip. <laughs> yeah, now, you know, here's what's funny. The guy's not coming back to our church. He should, but he's not coming back to our church. They're going to work it out over there, and that's okay, because that's a great church. It really is. That's a great church in our community, and I bless that church. We need as many life-giving churches in our community as we can possibly have. Just speak. A lot of times we wonder, what would I say? Do you know that the Bible says, don't worry about what you'll say? Don't worry about it. Just be ready to give an account for the hope that's inside of you. That's it. Here's why I have hope. Here's why I got out of bed today. Here's why I decided to stay married. That's it. God will give you the words. But most of the time, we are convinced by the enemy not to open our mouths. God never calls qualified people. He qualifies those that he calls. All he wants is for you to say yes to him. That's it. The miraculous, man, if you would ever get rid of the blind spot and play like your dad's watching, you'd be surprised what you could do too. I'll give you number five. Just go. Just go, man. Jesus just makes it plain. Just go. Go where? I don't know. Just go. You can go to your neighbor. You can go to Target. You can go to Africa. You can go to work. Go to the store. Just go. Can I tell you about a guy I know? This is a story that traces back a lot of years. I told it once upon a time. Maybe you'll remember. Um, Guy's name was Edward Kimball. I know you've never heard of him. Um, Most people never heard of him. But Kindle was just simply a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys that ended up in his class, he also sought to win each one to the Lord personally. He just took it as a challenge for the seven or eight kids that he had in his class. I'm going to tell them about Jesus, and I'm going to make sure they know him if I don't do anything else with my life. He decided he would be intentional with every last one of them. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel, because uh, if you've ever worked with a bunch of junior high boys, I guarantee you, you've thought about throwing in the towel. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So Ed Kimball decided to visit him where he worked. And the kid worked at a shoe store, stocking shelves. And he confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus. The young man's name was Dwight L. Moody. 
In the stock room on that Saturday, D.L. believed the gospel and received Jesus as his Savior. In his lifetime, listen to this, Moody touched two continents for God with thousands of people professing Christ in his ministry. I'm sure you're aware of Moody Bible College in Wheaton, Illinois. But the story doesn't end there. It's actually where it begins because under Moody's teaching, another man's heart was touched for God. That guy's name was Wilbur Chapman. Again, you've never heard of Chapman. But Chapman becomes an evangelist who preached to thousands of people in America. And one day, a professional baseball player had the day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings, and his name was Billy Sunday. If you know anything about Christian history in the 19th century, 20th century, excuse me, Billy Sunday became an evangelist. God used him in a powerful way. Another young man was also converted. His name was Mordecai Ham. Guarantee you never heard of him. He was a scholarly, dignified nerd who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets advertising his meetings. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go near him to hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the high school and that the male students were skipping lunch to visit the house on a regular basis. When the students decided to go to interrupt his meetings, Billy Frank went with them to see what would happen. That night, Billy Frank went, and God got a hold of his heart. Returning the next night, he responded to the invitation and was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham. Billy Graham has preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. Do you know that? In 1954, Billy Graham held a crusade at the old Pelican Stadium in New Orleans, Louisiana. And a man named Bob Andrews took his family to hear this superstar preacher... Bob's nine-year-old daughter responded at the end of that message to accept and believe that Jesus loved her and gave his life for her. Her name was Donna Andrews. Years later, she married a man and became known as Donna Leach, my mom. It's amazing to trace back a lineage to a man or a woman who was not a superstar, who was not anybody that could ever be pointed to, but let me just say this to you real quickly. When we all get to heaven, Billy will get his reward, and so will this guy. And the one I'm going to head to will be this guy all those years ago who took it upon himself. Because I don't know if I'd be standing here today had somebody not heard a message like this and said... I'm going to play like my father's watching. God doesn't need you to be a superstar. He just needs you to be obedient. We spend three weeks a year talking about missions in our church. I know we bring it up. We do offerings. But three weeks talking about the opportunity to go. One of them that's coming up is to respond, to help, to do something 
in the area of Houston has been so ravaged by a hurricane. Some of them are foreign missions and some of them are local missions and some of them you can pray for and some of them you can be involved in. No matter where you are and who you are, man, I want you to remove the blinders, the blind spot that you have because mission is not for that person. It's for you. It's for me. It's for us. God is just looking for obedience. This is kind of silly. I didn't even know if I was going to read it. It's one quick sentence. I read this when I was studying, and I don't know, it kind of stood out to me. Uh, You can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in a single seed. And sometimes what we focus on is what we can see. I can see that. And what we don't focus on is if we do that one thing for God, how he'll multiply it in history. And I just want to throw this out to you, male, female, older, younger, married, single, qualified, disqualified, unqualified, (laughs) afraid, unknowing. Could you ask God to remove the blinders and then play like it mattered? Play like your father was watching because it matters. It matters to some kid someplace, to some marriage someplace, to some family someplace, to some hurting person someplace, to some hungry person someplace, to some lost person someplace. It matters. On the 17th, which is Tuesday, a week from, we'll bring everybody together for our global adventure. We'll kind of roll out all the things that will take place in 2018 and how you can be a part of them. Whether you want to pray, give, go, hear, cheer, worship, we're going to do it all that night. You should have been given this when you walked in. If you weren't, grab it on the way out, and next week we'll put it on your seat. So you have to have it. But man, ask God to remove the blinders so that you play like he's watching, because he's watching. And it's not for condemnation's sake, because there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. But we play because it matters and because he cheers and because that's where the life is at, man. If you're going to be a believer, this is where the life is at. This is where the life is at. So, Father, take the message. Bury it deep in our hearts so that the enemy can't steal it from us and make it a reality to us. More than anything, Father, we just want to be obedient. And I give you thanks for that, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to me.